Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Today is my favorite type of episode because it's just Mario and I catching up. We talk about the midterm elections. We talk about CrossFit, boxing, exertional rhabdomyolysis, MCT oil, Bohemian Rhapsody. We talk about Hawaii politics probably for a little too long, but it's another amazing episode of the Jason Jones Show. And this episode has been brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project. The Vulnerable People Project stands in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world at the most vulnerable moments of their life. And you can be a part of the team by going to the www.thegreatcampaign.org. Here we go. Aloha, Mario. Aloha. I always want to start. I'm good. You know, when I listen to other podcasts and I notice I'm a big podcast fan and everyone has pet words and it gets really annoying. But every time I say your name, I want to call you Mario Speedwagon. Every time I just want to say, hey, Mario Speedwagon. Uh They probably get annoying. Why is is that? I don't even know. I mean, I haven't heard Mario Speedwagon, even a song from Mario Speedwagon in 10 years. Huh. Uh, would it be okay if I, think I was on clever and... once? I think if I said it once, it'd be clever. And then more than once, just why does he say that all the time? Um, is that a, I don't, I've never heard of that band. You've never heard of REO Speedwagon? REO Speedwagon? You've never no. heard of REO Speedwagon? Oh, oh come on. Is it, is it worth Spotifying or just? Yeah, of just... course. Okay. Right. Haven't you ever been to like a, a local carnival? Like the Rockabobs? No. I'm, I you grew up in Nicaragua, those... Jason. Nicaragua. Nicaragua. That's the other thing, your last name. I can't even pronounce your last name. Yeah, we were ex- exercising. Keala. Okay, you tell me how you say it, and then I'm going to tell you how I say so, it. The way that I tell people is if, what's street in Spanish? And have, you know, 50% of the people know, and that's Calle, right? Calle. Does that ring a bell or no? It does. So I had Spanish for four years. I know four words. And then the last one is hard, so it's ha. ha. I'm just playing with you. Ha. <laughs> and it's has. 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 So like a has avocados, I guess. Perfect. Look at that. Look like at I'm that. A white guy in, in a 70s movie playing an Arab terrorist. Has. Has. There might be some Arabic, definitely in can I, Castilian, right? Can I tell you how I, I, I would pronounce it if I were you? You have to repeat after okay, me. Yeah. Okay, ready? So it's Mario. Mario. Cal. Cal. Lay. Lay. Joss. Calajas, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. how I would that's say it. I, 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 you. Get that. I did get that. Cal-a-jas. I did. You know what? I'll tell you one day, but I... <laughs> I um, actually, no, no. I think this is a good context for our conversations. Um, so my dad passed away a few years ago, and uh, so I had a mask for him. And I, I think... I think it was the first mass that I offered for him and uh solemn moment. You know, he was named the same as I was. So he's, his name was also Mario. So he was Mario senior. And then his name comes and I grab Tate's hand and the person <laughs> says, and we offer this mass for Mario Salegis. So I had never heard somebody say, pronounce my last name that way. And I thought it as a treat almost because it was a solemn moment. 
um as it should be and uh but it, i don't know it was a little bit of a treat and a smile came to my face so you like so you weren't you were not offended i wasn't i wasn't why See, would people i get, no, people get so offended i had a roommate in college her name was laurence and she would i would call her lawrence and she and then you know she would always yell at me jason jason my name is not laurence it's laurence and then, you know, after six months of her yelling at me that I couldn't pronounce her name correctly, it dawned on me. My name isn't Jason. It's Jason. You know, it's Jason. <laughs> I don't mind. You know, I like that, you know, Jason is kind of cool. You know, people get so offended. And then I had another roommate, Indian guy, and he would, he would get offended if I didn't like some of his food. And I liked pretty much everything, but maybe one or two dishes. And then... And then I discovered he never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which was just amazing to me. So I made him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on Wonder Bread. I don't even know if you can still get Wonder Bread. Like, that's like the best thing in the world. <laughs> like if during Olympics for food and America had to put something up, it would be Jiffy peanut butter and jelly on Wonder Bread. And we would win the World Olympics for food. And so I give it to him and he looks like he's going to die, you know, eating it, which is to me unbelievable. I'm like, no, you know, you know, it's the problem. You, you need it with cold milk. He goes, no, I really like it. And I'm like, no, 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 I can tell you don't. So I gave him a glass of really cold milk. So he's having really cold milk with peanut butter and jelly and not even the real peanut butter, like the Jiffy peanut. It was like, you know, fake peanut butter, which is even better. And on uh, fake bread, right? Who wouldn't like fake? And? fruit jelly with fake peanut butter on fake bread. It's the best thing in the world. He drinks it with the cold milk and he's like, oh, this is wonderful. And um, he looks like he's going to die. And I said, you know, in my culture, we do not care if you don't like our food. He's like, really? I'm like, not at all. <laughs> it's like, it's absolutely disgusting. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't imagine how somebody would find peanut butter and jelly disgusting. That's what he said. So he was honest with you. Then he got to be honest. He's like, you wouldn't be offended. I'm like, no, I wouldn't be offended at all. Yeah, Americans. I'm confused. I know that we sort of want to talk about um, movies. You wanted to bring up, um, what was that movie? Well, originally I wanted to talk to you about Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. But then you said something yesterday off the cuff that I said, I want to talk about working out in the gym. What I was going to tell you is that I also have a movie that I want to talk to you. But before we get into that. Yeah. I do have a confession to make. Um, oh, no. Cue the music. Uh, I've converted to CrossFitism. No, brother, you didn't. I, I've just entered the RCIA. You're, you're, are you like thinking about, oh, are you keto? Are, are you ketogenic yet? Are you keto? No. Let me ask you, do no. you own like MCG oil or what is it called? MCT oil? MCT oil. You know what? I've had it before, I think. Did you buy, do you have grass, no, no, grass no, fed? No. I have not gone butter. <laughs> I've not been baptized in the, in the MCT oil yet. Actually, that would be an oil, right? So it would be MCT a, it would oil. Be that's what it is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. See, I know. So, yeah, I have I'm, other I, friends who've converted to CrossFit ism. Are you are you a member of the Church of CrossFit? No, I couldn't be ever. Really, I don't like fitness in general. <laughs> Can I tell you my problem with CrossFit? Sure, go for it. It's too. Anything that I had to do in the army, it's really hard for me to do ever since I got out of the army. Hmm. And the CrossFit, they love burpees. Okay, I'm not doing burpees ever, ever again in my life. 
Is that just a is that a core exercise in just everything? Oh, when you're in the army, you just do burpees. Yeah, yeah all day long. Okay. We did burpees in high school football and Pop Warner football, but it was the army that really gave me a disdain for burpees. Running, like I'll run, I'll do sprints or I'll do the uh, the horribly named fart licks. Like I'll run 5K. <laughs> I figured it out before. Like I just did 5K and fart licks. Okay, that doesn't bother me. But if I'm just going to go jogging, that's never going to happen. Burpees never going to happen. So you, so you're telling me you have tried CrossFit? No, no, no. I know all about it though. I like the, I know I like that CrossFit has brought back a, the Olympic lifts to normal people. You know what CrossFit is doing? It's saving us from Joe Weider's magazines. Hmm. You probably, you probably too young to know anything about this. <laughs> but any guy my age grew up with these Joe Weider magazines, like Muscle and Fitness. Oh yeah. And then they would sell us this horrible these protein powders that tasted like concrete, but they would have beautiful names like Bavarian chocolate, French vanilla. But it was just, you know, you will have colon cancer should have been the name of the product. Yeah. But every yeah. guy my age and, you know, older maybe, if you, if you were born between like 1965 and 1980, and then all the workouts would only work if you were on large amounts of anabolic steroids. Oh, wow. Because all the guys in those magazines were, you know, on steroids. That's but, unfair. But that was back in the day when people didn't understand it. And they'd say, no, really, Arnold Schwarzenegger just eats really lean beef and chicken breasts. And that's why he looks like that. You know, we didn't understand. People didn't understand. And there's all these, like, concentration curls and dumbbell raises, you know. And But what CrossFit has done is it's brought back squats and a clean and press and yeah. clean and you know, pull-ups, good things like that. But unfortunately, in your church, you're going to be doing lots of burpees, which I will never do. You know what? You're scaring me a little bit, but we haven't. I've actually, I'm just barely initiated. <laughs> so I've only done six six or seven classes. I'm barely doing two a week. But I'm hooked. I could definitely go every day if, if I could find the time. And, uh, but burpees haven't come up. So you're scaring me. A well, little I'm bit. glad burpees haven't come up. Maybe, uh, maybe they've changed their, their catechism. Yeah. I will tell you something. Let's see. I do like the community. Let me tell you some positives. I do like the community aspect as well. Um, cause there's some, there's a lot of breaks in between. I've done weightlifting by myself before. So it's really cool to have somebody, uh, check your form. So that access to that knowledge uh, to have like a a priest passing by, <laughs> um, and uh, the community does that really well as well. That's really cool. And then the the amount of warm up. So sometimes like forty percent, no, sorry, more like fifty to sixty, seventy percent of the class is just warming you up for the last twenty minutes, and uh, that's just that just seems so reasonable uh, to make sure that your whole body is ready for for it. So. Um, and tell people what I'm, CrossFit I'm, is. So CrossFit is basically fitness is a sport. I mean, it takes fitness serious, right? That's how I see it. Sure. You know, I see it as, because uh, I come from, at least my exposure is to yoga a lot, right? Tate, my, my wife is a yoga teacher. So I, I'm seeing a little bit of like weight training meets uh, that community like class. That's the way I see it. Um, so there is a sport to it uh, that I haven't touched yet, but just the community aspect of using weight training and in a class setting with a teacher that's the way i see it i don't see it as a sport yet i haven't been exposed to that part of it well you know what too when you're at the grocery store and you see a guy or a girl in line and head of you 
you know, with her ketogenic diet in her shopping cart or whatever, you can look at you. Oh, that's a CrossFitter. I mean, a CrossFitter, they look in shape and you can definitely tell by their legs that they do a lot of squats. You know, they yeah. do a lot of real exercises. Yeah. That's sort of these gym, these bodybuilder gym exercises. But, but see, yeah, the I mean, reason I wanted to talk about your CrossFit conversion is because yesterday we were talking, I was taking um, a friend of mine around to see the World War II sites. And I had gotten rhabdomyolysis twice, exertional rhabdomyolysis twice in the past two years. I gave it to myself. You basically give it to yourself. And they call it the CrossFit disease. And so when we were talking, you said, oh, I feel really, I'm still really worn out from my, my workout. And I think I gave myself, I didn't go to the doctor because like it's just, it's a touch. I think maybe I gave myself a touch of the rhabdo for the third time. I feel kind of fluish and really tired and sick, but I gave myself um, exertional rhabdomyolysis twice. And you're going to run into it. I guarantee you in your, your CrossFit community there, because CrossFitters, they, when I was in the ER, the first thing they asked me was that they didn't even ask me. They told me, Oh, so you do CrossFit, huh? And I'm like, no, why wow. would you ask that? And they said, um, well, this is what you have is we call the CrossFit disease. What else can you tell me about it? Cause I, I don't. Exertional I rhabdomyolysis is when your, your kidneys fail um, because you just worked out too hard. It's something that maybe firefighters used to get or coal miners, but with our passion for leisure and, you know, guys, I guess my age in my late forties, I get mine, I've gotten mine boxing and doing Muay Thai or, and other sports kind of combining in one short period of time. When I got it, I'd surfed in the morning, flew, boxed in the evening, gave a speech, fainted. The time I got it really bad was it ended up being in the hospital for two weeks and they wanted to keep me longer. So it's not, it's not, I mean, you can die, you can die, you can die from it. And once you get it, I'm told you get it, it's, it's easier to get. So there's two ways I can look at it. It's either, A, I push myself really hard and I worked out really hard because I have such a strong mind or probably the reality is, 47 and my kidneys and my body are like, yeah, nah, it's not that your mind is so strong. It's that the rest of us is really weak. Um, so I was just happy to hear a young guy like you talking about how fatigued you were. <laughs> and then you were like, the next day you're like, no, nah, I'm better now. No, nah, I'm good. So then, then, then I didn't feel so good anymore. Oh, you need that MCT or is that what it is? I need to go on a ketogenic diet. Take MC. No, I just need to be more. You know, when you get older, you got to getting older is real. Mm. It's not a myth. But the, the other reason I couldn't do CrossFit, and I don't want to I don't want to dissuade you from it, because you're loving it. For me, I need to play my, my activities needs to be playful. Mm. You know, and that's what I love about doing boxing or Muay Thai, especially when you get to spar. It's like playing, you know, it's, uh, it's like yeah. you're a kid again. Have you ever heard of Mark's Daily Apple? I have heard of Mark's Daily Apple from you. I think I've listened to it one or two, three, oh. two times. Yeah, so uh, he has this like prim primal blueprint, and he's like a paleo. Oh, I have it. I own his books. He has. He has. I have yeah, his book. Yeah. yeah. And, and that you you just reminded me because you know all those paleo people pretty much say like let's eat, uh, or let's try to eat as as close as as our primal or as our paleo, or like ancient man, right? Um, before uh, modern agriculture, but one of the things he says, and I'm sure you remember, is is that he says, "No, let's let's live like them a little bit." That's right. I thought that was, was brilliant. Like, let's live like them. Of, part of that was play, and and even ever since then, I mean, it's been a few years since I read it. I'm like, I got to make sure that not only do I work out, but I play. I mean, I think endorphins come into play, uh, community building. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of good things with play, and and I, it's something that I just don't don't do. I 
Oh, about. on that note, so yesterday, this gentleman I was taking around as a priest, Father Raftis from Montana, he was in the movie. The movie's based on him and his friends. Have you heard of this movie called Tag? Yes, that He's guy? in the movie. No, I, I didn't see the I movie. Okay, it. is there a priest character in the movie? It. No, they, they took him out. I think they consolidated Okay, characters. so my friend read, is in the movie. It's him and his friends. No, We're going to have to have him on the podcast. We were going to have him on the podcast, but I ended up taking that him to Schofield so cool. Barracks and was going to take him to see Amelia Earhart's hangar, but we, we didn't even have time for that. We went to see the palace, da-da-da. So I wanted to have him on and play. They've been doing it for 20, 30 years, 30 years. And and he had a lot of good stories. Like, what's the craziest way you the tag takes place over the entire country? Yeah, for a certain season, it's like a month. Call, I think it's years. it's it's like maybe from September to February, and then the last one tagged is it. He's the big loser from February until September again. Wow. And did you play hide and seek with him? Or did I? No, no, I should have. <laughs> no, no, no. But it was just an amazing. It was amazing, and and so I said, you know what? I was going to have him on one thing, the Jesuits, because he was a Jesuit. But I said, nah, I want to have you on on play because you know, I have a lot of kids and I had my, you know, I was a kid when I had my first kid. And I think because of that play has never left my world. It did for a bit. I'd say there were yeah. 10 years where I just got so serious into work that, that, that play evaporated. And, um, but I've been very good at my son says, dad, when you spar, when you're in the ring sparring, it just freaks people out. Cause you're smiling. You have this. I don't even realize I do it. He's like, you have this big. What's what's? Sparring? Oh, it's like you know, you wear boxing gloves and you punch each other. You know, boxing gotcha, gotcha. sparring. Yeah, you know, you might go fifty percent, seventy five percent, and um, then people with egos, it works its way up to a hundred percent. Um, but which I love. I love when they start creeping up, and uh, yep. but I said to my son, you know, my this is my twenty nine year old son. I said, when you're my age and you get to do this, it's it's fun. You know, it's there's no pride. Like I don't care if a 29 year old you know knocks me out or whatever i mean he's 29 i don't care there's no pride or ego but when i was young even sparring was never fun it was more serious but now it's just become play and i always know i'm one trip to the doctors away from uh something he's telling me that means i'll never get to play like this again you know and i have friends getting sick all around me so i think just play is so important and then having children lots of children it, it makes it play is fun even my wife gets upset how much my kids and i which we only allow one day a week to play Fortnite, but we do take advantage of that day and i'm in there right there with them and uh but it's fun you know and it and it's uh it's fun and it's just fun to play jason um i'd, I'd like to we can either get into a little bit of some of the movies or or get into what you've been up to i'm really curious any upcoming cool things? yeah i'm heading to louisville there. i'm going to los angeles uh, to meet with a line producer on a movie we're getting ready to do hopefully and and we're going to be shooting it in baghdad and in arizona and i don't want to get too much into that now so i'll be going to la for that meeting and then i'm going to louisville and i love going to louisville because um this, i have a tradition when i go there a tradition i've been to louisville once i did it once but i'm doing it again it is a tradition i go to muhammad ali his the childhood home of cassius clay um also known as Muhammad Ali, and I run his block. Oh. Just drive there in my, my car, no my little rental car. I go to his house, I get on his stoops, stoop of his childhood home, and then I just run. I do a little run, run the block. And I just imagine the young Cassius Clay used to run that block. He's going to be champion. I'm a, I'm a big Ali fan. We're going to do a whole show on Ali. 
I want to do a show this year on Ali, cool. interviewing some of his family members. And on Andrew Breitbart's birthday on February 1st, I want to make it a tradition. I want to do an Andrew Breitbart episode every year. That'd be so cool. Maybe bring in an old buddy that that you worked with uh, that you guys can share stories. That could be cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, Andrew and I have a lot of friends in common. Andrew is a dear friend of mine. I know his family. Yeah. And so there's a lot of interesting people we could have. I was thinking maybe each year I'd bring one person on to talk about him. Because when Andrew passed, for those of you who don't know who Andrew Breitbart is, he founded, of all things, he founded, he was a founding, I think he was a founding editor, early editor for sure, of Drudge and founded the Breitbart.com and all the big sites, big Hollywood, all that, big government. And, um, but beyond that, he's just this passionate man, kind man. He loved music. He had a passionate sense of justice. It's just bigger than life. And everyone's like, we're never gonna forget Andrew. But of course it's a big, busy world. And I wanna do my part to share because a lot of what's good in the country today is because of Andrew, and um, wow, yeah, and he was just a wild guy. I can't wait to get and, get in. And speaking that. of wild guys, I want to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, Let's do it. I haven't okay, seen so it. plot spoiler. I'm going to try not to do any plot spoilers, but I'll probably I'm going to try to. I mean, I guess it's yeah. a biopic, right? <laughs> plot yeah, spoiler: yeah, He dies of news. HIV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Um, but so I'd been hearing so many things about the film and there were so many negative reviews saying that it had a cavalier look at the home, it was, at the homosexual lifestyle or a negative portrayal of the homosexual lifestyle or there were just all of these strange reviews. Other people adored the movie. Other people were angry at the movie. And so I said, I have to go see Bohemian Rhapsody. And I went to see it and I can't remember a movie where I cried this much. Yeah, I, wow. I can't ever remember. And the, it was written and directed so well, and the acting was brilliant. And it really bothers me, these negative reviews, because I think they were, they were ideological. It's strange. As a conservative, you know, as a Christian conservative, we're often, we are criticized, and maybe sometimes rightly so, that our movies have to fit sort of this perfect worldview, and they have to be so neat and clean to suit our ideology. And, and maybe that's right. And, and, you know, we would imagine on the left that they would be different, but it's no different. The, the reviewers were, were upset that it didn't fit a neat, clean narrative. But, but what the, and I don't know if that makes any sense, what I'm saying, but. The neat, clean narrative, meaning like of their, that reflect their yeah, ideology. Yeah, I think that's why people were upset yeah. on the left. But what I loved yeah. about the movie is it does something spectacular. It makes you fall, and listen, this isn't, you know, common sense it. If you're looking to be, if, if you, if this isn't a movie you're going to want to go see, you know, uh, be, if you're easily scandalized. Um, sure. So I'm not encouraging everyone out there to go see it. I felt being in the film business, all of this controversy around it, I really needed to see it. And so this is what I loved about the film. They make you, the writer, the writing is so brilliant. The directing is so brilliant. You fall in love with Freddie Mercury. So here's sort of the structure of the film. You fall in love with Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury breaks your heart. And you forgive him. And if you know the hero's journey that, you know, you start in the ordinary world, then there's some great act of injustice that sends you into this, this um, extraordinary world. And then you 
fight battles and go into the innermost cave and, you know, achieve victory and die and are resurrected and not necessarily in that order. And then you go back to the ordinary world and now the ordinary world is better. That's sort of, it's, that's the structure. You fall in love with the young Freddie Mercury, Farouk, I don't even know his real name. And I didn't even know he was um, uh, Zoroastrian. Persian? Yeah, I didn't even know he, he I didn't yeah. even know that. And so you, uh, I didn't know he was married. You know, I didn't know that. So you, you fall in love with him. He breaks your heart. You're disappointed in him. And then he asks us for forgiveness. And you fall back in love with them and you forgive them. It's just so clever, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's rather unique, right? And that's what you're saying. That generally our hero stories, um, he, you know, we, they don't break our hearts generally, right? Yeah. Not like this. Would no, I mean, and that, and you're not like, I hate to use this word. Um, but the way it is, it's, he's so attractive. Like he seduces you. You fall in love with him. He's so intriguing. Like, who is this guy? Yeah. And you see him as a stranger, as an outsider, and he's he's odd, he's uncanny, and then um, then he intrigues you, and then before you know it, you're all caught up with him, and then and then he breaks your heart, he breaks everyone's heart, and you think you think what he forgets you? everyone, and you think he's in his own world, but then you realize he never, he was lost, and he was fighting his demons, and he was self destructive, and he hurt himself, and he hurt others. And yet he never forgot the people he loved. And he was humble. He was able to humble himself. Now, look, who knows? I'm sure there are people out there who knew Freddie Mercury who were hurt by him and see him in a different way. And people have all sorts of different experiences. But, but what I liked about the film, taking the film as the film is, does that, it, it, just, it does a great job. And the whole time, you just, it breaks your heart to know this is a real person, real person who struggled, real person who struggled and lost. His music is so often foreshadowing of his own catastrophe and his own heartbreak, his own failings, his, his own loneliness. And so I was thinking of, of a Roger Ebert's quote about films being empathy-generating machines. I thought, well, is this, a, is this a good empathy-generating machine? And it is. And it is, and it's not some celebration of the gay lifestyle, which is what I think a lot of people in Hollywood wanted. It's yeah. not only a celebration; I'm, I'm, I'm sure they expected also a little bit of victimization, right? Uh, they probably expected like, oh, this guy in the '80s or in the '70s, he was a victim, and this is—that's what I, I felt like they were missing. They're like, you missed, you missed the opportunity to show him as a hero, you know. And I wonder if that was because I, I, I read an article where it said that. Uh, there's a scene where the, the other, other queen members are like, hey, Freddie, this is not our thing or something like that. And uh, so I wonder if that's, they, they missed the opportunity of him being victim. Oh, great. Yeah, they were sort of stayed like just family men, right? And they weren't perfect either. And they intimated that. By the way, I, I don't want to put my own interpretation on it. Or maybe I will. <laughs> I will. Heck, it's our podcast. Why not? They They <laughs> sort of allude to the fact, I think, that his homosexuality goes back to his days at boarding school and also his experience at the Zoroastrian boarding school. I got this. I mean, it was, it's, it's very easy. I could see when people are like, I don't see that at all. I don't know where you got that, but yeah. as a, as a writer, you don't put something in there that doesn't have a place. So guys, when something's in a, in a 90 minute movie, a 90 page script, 
it's there for a reason. You just don't put something in there. There's a very interesting scene where his time away at boarding school is revealed and he just, he goes off, he leaves the room. As they're talking about his time in boarding school and as a boxer, he was a boxer. And it, it made me think that the trauma of boarding school made him and not in a way reject, because they don't ever show you out and out. And they don't show him reject his traditions, his family, his culture, his ethnicity, his religion. But they show his father feel as if he's rejecting it. Um, but I do think that something might have happened. I, I need to research this, but something, it seems to me they were intimating, intimating something at boarding school happened. And that was key, key to him. And his- everything. It's key to his changing his name. It was key to his, his, his struggles with drugs and sex addiction. But you, you leave the film loving so, Freddie Mercury. You know, there's one thing I always try to do. I think we talked about it before my Imago Day exercise where I just, when I look at people and someone's yelling at me or I'm angry at the person at the gate for United because they bumped me from my flight and I'm, I'm United Premier Plus. You know, how dare you bump me? And I'm angry. And then they're being rude or condescending to me. And I just like, I have this, this mental exercise where I stop and I look at them as if they're the only person in the world that God ever created and how God sees them and thinks about them and cares about them. And so that was the mental exercise I was doing while I was watching Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think that's why it just broke my heart because you just, when you, you look at Freddie Mercury as if he was your own child, your own son, um, man, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed it too. Cause every, every once in a while, I think about how much money you spent in these projects <laughs> and when they're just a train wreck, I don't know if you heard that, like what happened in production for this. Movie. No, I don't. I know that Sasha Baron Cohen left because he didn't like the, the, the direction that. it was taking, right? He wanted it to be this yeah. sort of celebration of excess, Maybe. a celebration of sort of the absurd. Maybe, yeah. That makes sense. And then Brian Singer, who's a big director in Hollywood, was attached. And then he got involved in some sexual harassment allegations. And in the middle of the Me Too movement, I think they kicked him out of the movie um, uh, halfway through or some significant percentage. So some other director had to come in and finish it. So a few little challenges along the way. And they've been trying to make this movie for a while. Spent a lot of money. Somewhere, and, and, and critics have been bashing it. You're you're the first friend that gives gives it thumbs up, and um, but it also the box office is responding really well. Yeah, I think so. it's ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, oh, really? yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that. uh, at least when I when I looked, not Which, not not critics, just the people, yeah. folks, the people. Which, by the way, just as a little like uh, little parentheses, because I I knew you wanted to talk about this movie. I watched another um, movie that centers around that fo- uh, focus of Ima- Imago Day. Is that yeah, how you pronounce it? Yeah, Beer Wozniak tells, tells me it's Imago Day. I always say Imago Day. Imago, Imago Day. Imago, the yeah. image of God. Um, yeah, have you seen it? Uh, it's called Steve Jobs. No, I need to see it, though. It's on Netflix oh right now? gosh, Jason. No, no. We have to think I bought it on YouTube okay. for like $3, three ninety nine or something like that. But it deals with something that we all know. And obviously, like he's a, at this point... Jobs is a uh, a myth, right? Uh, we do, we don't know exactly, and we we make him bigger than he is, but it deals with the, this desire that we have of perfection, and uh, 
and I, I think you, I might have, I might have it. You might have it. A lot of us have this desire to for the perfect, and obviously we know where those arrows should be pointing. But it's so interesting. And obviously, he's an adopted kid, right? I, I, mean, you, you I did, yeah. And I know he was an adopted kid, and he was kind of a deadbeat father, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it touches on on a little bit of those things and this desire to 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 control because in those stages in life he had very little. Um, but there's some other things that I just don't want to get into because it's such a beautiful reveal, and and my eyes are just stuck on the character a little bit. I it reminds me a little bit of of uh, the Joker. Or what's another like? Maybe there will be blood where you just stare at like a bit of a monster, and you're just like, or at least I am, just like, what drives this person? And um, and uh, obviously not as bad as the Joker and the uh, you know whatever, but just I totally recommend it. And I thought about you because he just had a twisted sense of what do you call it? The, the human anthropology, like knowing what we're here for. So he had a. Um, so he, I mean, I obsessed with this. To me, I, either we are made in the image of God or we live in the animal kingdom. Like that's it. Like there's no other choices, right? And so, yeah. are you saying he had? The, did he have an anthropology that we're like we're in the animal kingdom? Oh, it's just what is it? A util mm -hmm. utilitarianism, where it's like we are what we make, and if you make crap, you oh, are wow. crap. So we're animals. So we're yeah. we're, we're tool and, creating uh, animals. So he's a better animal, animal because he made the iPhone. Some, yeah, something like that. And then where, where does that? By the way, he's right. Like, if we are not made in the image and likeness of God, and all have equal dignity and worth, then yeah, just by, just being, by being, then he is a better animal than me. You know, Joe Rogan yeah. has this thing. He says in his podcast, like, if I were to send you out into the woods with an axe, how long would you have to be out there before you came back with an iPhone? You know what I mean? Like, never. I would never. I would do. One would more likely evolve from natural causes than from me making one. So yeah. he's right. That's the thing. He's yeah. right. He's, I shouldn't yeah. say he's right. He's got a valid point there. He's got a valid point there. He's yeah. a better animal. But so what? But then what I would say and, is, and, so what's the value in that? Mm -hmm. By the way, that's arbitrary. You might want to say that you're a better animal because you can make better things. I would say I'm a better animal because if I kick you in the head, you're dead. <laughs> and I'll take your better things. <laughs> Right. So, you, you know, that's sort of an arbitrary thing in a, in an absurd universe to say, because you make better tools, you're better. So what? It, yeah. Yeah. And that's my interpretation of it, but definitely, it definitely dives into, into, yeah, wor worshiping uh, work and, and, pr and products and, and attaching them to your self identity. It, it, it's really interesting. And you have to go even deeper, right? When you start asking those questions, like, why do I feel that way? Cause some people, worship money some people worship powers and which people worship you know work and so on um so really interesting just study of the human this human desire for the perfect which we know where, where that lies you know no that's it's right and we're not gonna and he's dead by the way he's he's not gonna make another iphone ever and um that's very sorrowful do you want to like i want to end up on the elections real quick because we haven't talked about the elections at all yeah i'm super curious dude I'm super curious on your perspective. I'm glad you do that. And then we can well, I'm just going to tell you how I see myself fitting in all this. You know, you know, I went and campaigned for Ted Cruz. And then my friend, while I was there, met me for tacos. Those are, I don't know if you got to listen to the previous podcast, my friend Destiny. She endorsed mm -hmm. Beto. 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 Uh, you know, Mr. O'Rourke. Yeah. I'm going to change my name to, I'm going to give myself an ethnic sounding last name. 
I mean, Jason Scott Jones. It sounds like I, uh, you know, I'm a trust fund baby. But, um, and and it was just fun to have her on the podcast because the one thing I want to do in the midst of all of this is just stay a kind, decent person. <laughs> and it is so easy during these campaign cycles to be just whipped into a frenzy. And now they just don't let it go. You know, now they're they're fighting and recounting. And then there was an, an, an article in today's newspaper, which was the campaign for 2020 begins today. And it's like, whoa. And I think that almost like a game, I want to just challenge myself to maintain relationships with friends that are aggressively disagree with me. I have a friend on Facebook who is big Libby and he's been lefty and he's been my friend since I don't even call me my friend. I mean, we were friends, friendly. We grew up together. We went to school together, starting like the second grade. I always kind of, he was, he's a beautiful creature. He's so unusual. He's always unusual. You know, he was uh, into Kiss, like in the third grade. And he dressed like Kiss, getting on the school bus in third grade, you know, looked like he was going to a Kiss concert. She's always eccentric. And then he was into Doctor Who, you know, things I was never into. But um, man, he gets hostile. He, he put on Facebook, Beto is twice the man you'll ever be loser. <laughs> and then I'm like, and I just, to me, yeah. To yeah. you? And so I responded, well, unfortunately he's not running against me. You know, it was a good challenge. How do I respond to that? Yeah. What can I say? And I yeah. said, well, unfortunately he's not running against me. He's running against Ted Cruz. And um, so I think in these election cycles, you know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to write op-eds. I'm going to campaign. I'm going to do everything I can. But the real challenge is, how do I maintain friendships with people who take it very personal? And they frustrate me, not because they take it so personal, but because they're so lazy. Like they, they express all this emotion and craziness on social media, but then I private, I, what is it, the expression you kids used to say? I DM them, PM them. What is it, DM? DM. That's I direct Twitter. message. Direct Ooh, remind me to go back to Twitter. I'm going off Twitter. So I'll, I'll, I'll DM them saying, okay. yo, so have you been volunteering for your Democrat candidate of choice? No, man, I don't volunteer. And so I'm like, wow, you express all this anger, but you're doing nothing, you know, but voting. And to me, if you vote, you're a D student. If all you do is vote, meh, so what? You know, you do donate, do you door knock, do you phone, make phone calls? Like that gets you up to a C plus B student. Do you start political action committees, actually work on campaigns? Now you're an A student. Uh, but that's what I got from this election. And then, of course, the big thing is the Supreme Court is going to be solidly in our corner, and it's up to Trump. And if Trump can nominate whoever he wants, and um, Roe versus Wade should be over, it should be toast. Yeah, but I'm not going to get her hopes up. I get, but it, uh, yeah, yeah, I can't. I mean, I'm, it, it, when it happens to me, it'll be like you know, winning the lottery. Nothing changes until it happens, and, and when it happens, then abortion just goes back to the states. It doesn't really change much in about half the states. Yeah. So what did, what did you want to talk about the elections? No, I was just curious. You're curious about your perspective. Like, um, I, I, I find it really interesting that I go to both sides and I feel like both sides felt like they won, um, which I think is sort of true. But I, I feel I'm a conservative. I feel like conservatives won significantly. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, we did, both sides did win. I mean, that's a good way of putting it. It was a it was a, a victory for both sides. It, it's very interesting to see the way the media spun it. Uh, Trump lost less seats in the House than historically one would have anticipated. 
which is quite a surprise. Yeah, he yes. he lost less seats in the House than less. um Great. than Bush and Obama. Yeah, and Obama yeah. And um, so that was a bit of a surprise, I think. And um, and the Democrats had some key victories that they needed. They needed those those victories. I think they were really afraid that this blue wave, which was really just a you know a little little wave, tiny wave, um, yeah. wasn't real at all. I kind of you know I, it was it, things turned out more or less the way I had expected. My mind was really on, on the Ted Cruz race because Ted has been such an advocate for vulnerable ethnic and religious minorities in the Middle East. He's, of course, solid on the life issues, and he's just a great constitutional conservative. So, of course, and that's why I made it a priority to go there and do a little bit. And my local races, and so I was most, I was really focused on Hawaii, and what I was most upset about was a young woman who's a delightful young woman. Uh, she's a Mormon, member of the LDS Church. I met her. Yeah. In a pro-life event, in the middle of the general election, she switched her position on abortion and went from being pro-life to pro-choice. Uh-huh. In the middle of it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So I came out and launched a campaign called Below 40. And it was just saying, let's keep her under 40% of the vote. And she barely got 30%. And I wanted to send a message that when you abandon social conservative values, you're doomed. And the truth is she lost by a larger margin than anybody lost in the state of Hawaii, in the history of the state of Hawaii. A Republican, a, a Republican conservative. conservative. She said, I'm personally pro-life, but I support Roe v. Wade as the law of the land. And what people don't understand about Hawaii, it just makes me so upset when I hear people talk about Hawaii, like, oh, such a liberal state. No, Hawaii is a social conservative state. Now, not like, you know, a Texas type of way. Hawaii is we're what we are the United States of America, but it's Asian, Western. You've got Polynesia, Ocean, you know, you've got all these Pacific Islanders, all these different cultures colliding in this 50th state. It is a state, but you can't understand it the way you would understand any other state. And maybe that's true everywhere. You know, all states have their personality and character and they're unique. But I would say Louisiana and Hawaii. Are, are very different because they're they're culturally different to a large degree, right? So Hawaii, especially even more so than Louisiana. And Louisiana is the state I would most compare us to. Hawaii is a community, and you know this, your wife's from Hawaii. Hawaii is a communitarian people. There was a Rasmussen poll several years ago that showed that Hawaii is the only state where folks didn't think they were taxed too much. Now we have the highest standard of living, but people are wow. like, nah, we're not taxed too much. And that's because we have this idea of we need to take care of each other. And it's an island. And it's Pacific Islander culture. And it's Japanese culture and Chinese culture and Filipino culture. And it's all swirling together right here in this 50th state. So if you come and you're trying to sell the Cato Institute, like you'll have these Republicans come and say, Hawaii, we need to be like the Democrat Party. And they think that the Democrat Party in Hawaii wins because it's like the Democrat Party nationally. The Democrat Party in Hawaii is not at all like the Democrat Party nationally. It's very diverse. My state senator and state representative are pro-life. And um, yeah, my state senator is Samoan. My state representative is a Harvard-educated woman who's passionately pro-life, and she's Democrat. But of course, they're on the fiscal side. They're pro-union. They believe in a big government-supported social safety net. 
And so what happens is these Republican strategists come here and they tell our Republican candidates, abandon the social issues and run on fiscal issues, which is the exact opposite. It'd be really smart to say, kiss up to the unions and let's make this fight about social issues. That's what you would do if you want to win. You would make peace with the unions, especially the private sector unions, and you would support these big projects like rail if you were just being Machiavellian, and you would differentiate yourself by saying I'm pro-life and support traditional marriage. You'd win. You'd win. There, well, there's an example of it. Um, we just had a guy who's a janitor in an elementary school, ran on a social conservative platform and beat an ethics professor from a university who was a state rep running for state senate. And this guy who's an elementary school uh, custodian beat him running on social issues. There's a Republican, Bob McDermott, in a solid working class union district who never loses, won by 12% of the vote. Why? Because he supports what the unions want and he, he picks his battles and fights on social issues. So here you have this Polynesian woman who's a member of the LDS church who gets utterly crushed because she abandoned her, her social conservative issues, values. And, I, and we're probably, I don't want to lose the whole country because they're like, we do not care, Jason, about your state house district at all. But um, I find it very interesting, the unique beauty of our culture and the communitarian nature of the culture of Hawaii. Yeah, you just gave me a lot of hope uh, for Hawaii too. And it makes sense that there's a spectrum within the Democrat, uh, the Democratic Party. Oh yeah, and in Hawaii, I'm telling you, but it, it, we can weather more storms. You know, you'll have mortgages with seven people on the mortgage because we all live together. You know, we fi families find ways to to um, survive hardship and struggle. It's very, it's very unique, where you're not going to ever find yourself on your own. One of the interesting things about homelessness here is. You're you're not going to have a lot of people from Hawaii homeless alone. You know, you'll have a lot of folks with mental illness or drug problems, maybe alone on the streets. But we have a big problem with homeless families, where the family falls to the street oh, wow. together, and they come out of the street together, wow. and they stay off the street fighting together. But we have a lot of families, families that they work, um, but still can't make ends meet, and the family will fall onto the streets and, and find themselves homeless. Yeah, it's very unique. Unique state. Beautiful state. Best, I believe Hawaii is the best polity on the world. Really, the best polity in the world. There's no wow. community. You know, I, I fly to and from the mainland all the time, Mario. It, it's, it's too much sometimes. I just am sitting in that plane going, oh, no, this is my 60th hour on a plane this month. But there's a saying, you know, that Hillary Clinton made po popular. It takes a village to raise your child. And conservatives, we got so mad at that because what we knew she meant was this, it takes the state to raise your child. I mean, that's what she meant, right? We, right? we take her as meaning the governmental institutions raise your child. The government's going to raise your child. But, but the reality is the vill your village raises your child with or without your consent. The village is going to raise your child. So you should choose your village very carefully. And so I chose my village. Point. Hey, before we go, oh, I'm going off Twitter. Twitter yeah, I realized I'm only on Twitter to retweet my friend's things. Like, my friend will write an article, say tweet it, I retweet it. I never use Twitter. I'm, re I never use Twitter. And, and then the little bit I use it, I get myself in arguments with people I don't even know. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are, and I don't care what you think. Like, who are you? I got enough people in my life. And uh, hmm. I just find Twitter totally annoying and useless. So I'm going off Twitter. Are you on Twitter? I am, and I do the same thing. I'm struggling with it. 
And uh, I'm just starting to realize, particularly Facebook and Twitter, and you can curate these things, Jason. That's the thing too, right? You can curate the content that comes to you. Um, but I think they're benefiting so much from our divisions. Um, and I think the algorithm catches on. So they, they're just going to- You mean they actually push things know. we say they, that are controversial to people who argue with us? So they keep us on there yeah, fighting with each other? Whoa, yeah, that's crazy. They, but why wouldn't they? Like, just think of- yeah why wouldn't they like every like every comment every dislike every anger the every engagement as a marketer myself that's a good thing so think about that and um where i do here's here's one that i do like i don't know if you've played with it i've never i've never played with reddit and reddit okay so reddit just imagine all the niches in in the world from the bad ones to the good ones to the people to the ones in the middle and they have community guidelines too. So I follow the pro-choice uh, one. I follow the pro-life one. And every once in a while, like I follow conservative, the conservative, I don't remember which ones they are. But I, every once in a while, I actually get curious on the other side and knowing that I can't really fully debate in those communities because a lot of those, are, they're just supporting each other and they have community rules and we're, we're here not to debate, but you know to support each other and so on. So I go in there and sometimes I just ask them a question that I'm actually honest and um, I don't know. There's something. So cool Reddit, they're that. more serious. Cool so people are going to be respectful, and they're going to give you a thoughtful answer. Yeah, and 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 there's like community, like senior community people that like will kick you out if if like you're you know you don't you're not following the guidelines. And some of them, like there's there's an actual uh, community called Change My Mind, and that one is about you know somebody that's pro-choice saying like, hey, listen, like I'm open. But this is what I believe. Why should I believe otherwise? And so, and there's community guidelines too. Like you can't say bad words, you know, nah, 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 or you get kicked. It out. is interesting. I just don't think that's like, for me right just, now. You know, I'm working on some. I'm working on a book and some movie projects. So I, I get my. I don't even watch cable news. <laughs> I'll watch cable news if I'm in a hotel, you yeah. know, or an airport. Um, it'll it, it will just it will distract me. What no, I use is I use Flipboard. Flipboard sends me the articles I need on what I'm paying attention to. And I would rather write an article. This is what I wonder sometimes. People spend so much time on them. Like, you could be a published author. And then other people would be sharing your article through all of these means with how much time and energy people put into these places. I've seen people put, write, put more energy into responding to my articles, I can guarantee you, than I put into writing the article. You know, they'll write page after page after page, day after day, week after week, trying to respond to my article. I'm like, man, brother, why don't you yeah. just write an article and publish it. That makes sense. I, I don't know how productive it is. If, if you're definitely using it to convince somebody, I don't know how productive the internet is. No, yeah, I'm going, I'm going off, I'm going off Twitter. I'm going to, Hey, let's end on some, some, something interesting. So one of our earlier podcasts, I gave away free books to everyone who made the end. And I didn't think anybody would make it to the end. And maybe I'd have to give out one or two books because it was our first ultra marathon podcast. And all these people listened to the end and I had to send out like, you know, a couple dozen books. Yeah. What? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it was great. I'm really glad we did. And then, and then somebody emailed me and by the way, your books are in the, in the mail guys. I had to actually get more books. There were so many requests. And uh, so I put the last of the books in the mail today, but um, the, uh, and, and then some people emailed me and one gentleman emailed me really interesting guy. And um, he, he's a part of, this group that meets in New York and it's about influencing culture and changing culture. And, 
And then I'm involved with a project to try to take this inner city school in New York City to go see Hamilton, where my nonprofit movie to movement wants to buy out the whole show. And it's like $50,000. It's not cheap. But um, we want to take this inner city school, the whole school to go see Hamilton. And so through our podcast, I talked to him. He's going to put me in touch. I don't know if it's going to pan out or anything, but I, I got to talk to the guy today on the phone. And it was just interesting talking to somebody who I only know him because he found our podcast. Yeah. And he, he said That's what he so liked cool. best about it was this idea that we have of sharing our friends with the world. Like we have these beautiful friends. He said, That's what I like, how you're sharing your friends and your friends are so interesting with the world. And, you know, Mario, now if you looked, at, we have listeners on every continent except Antarctica. So if you know anyone in Antarctica, please send this to them. And we are strangely popular in Japan and Stockholm, Sweden. Have you noticed that? Go, go. We have a lot of no, listeners in Sweden. Uh, we're spreading across Europe. And uh, it's just, it's, it's really neat to see. We're going to have to start speaking yeah, uh, other languages. Watashi wa nihongo <laughs> okay. So you're not. On that, on that, me pretending okay. to speak Japanese, we just offended our listeners in Tokyo. Should, should we? Right. You got any parting, any parting words? Parting words? No, just thanks, thanks for your time again, and uh, I look forward to the next, next time. All right, Mario. Later, brother. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow me because I am relentless on social media. You can follow me on my personal Facebook page because I like to have a conversation with my friends. You are my friend. I also post a lot on Instagram, a little bit on Twitter, and go to my website, movie2movement.com. That's www.movie2movement.com. And you can find out about my latest film projects. Talk to you next week.